Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into Outkick the Show, Monday edition, MLK Day edition, NFL Wild Card Day edition. I appreciate all of you hanging out with me, whether you're working or whether you have the day off. Um, always, this is a uh, work day for those of us who are NFL fans because it is usually NFL playoff weekend, wild card weekend, divisional round weekend, depending on how the calendar breaks out. And we had a phenomenal weekend. Five different wild card games played as we now have six games this weekend. Tonight, uh, we will watch Monday Night Football, the final Monday Night Football of the year. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys going on the road against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm excited to watch. I bet you are excited to watch. We will discuss that. 49ers, Bills, Giants, Bengals all get wins, uh, as well as the Jags. I'll give you a take on each of those games and what we learned. Biggest story, I would say, uh, looking forward right now, is what in the world's going to happen with Lamar Jackson. We will discuss the latest there. Five more documents found uh, that were classified inside of Joe Biden's house. That came out on Saturday after we were told that there were no more. Uh, It is MLK Day. Uh, We will certainly pay tribute to uh, the biggest MLK fan on the planet, Darren Ravel. Um, And we have a trans Miss Universe owner who says that his slash her ownership of the trans pageant is a victory for womankind. We will discuss in a moment. But first, let's dive into these uh, wildcard weekend games. Uh, Jags. Let's start with the Jags. Uh, The Jags came from 27 points down to basically steal the soul of the LA Chargers. And this was, I believe, a total sign of Chargers failure as much as it was a sign of Jags tenacity. So if you're watching this game, four first half interceptions by Trevor Lawrence, five first half turnovers by the Jags. Second half, no turnovers, four touchdown passes from Trevor Lawrence. The Jags came back from 27 to nothing down, scored a late first half touchdown to make it a 20 point deficit then win 31-30. to I thought it was the most exhilarating game of the weekend and that there were the most intriguing moving parts associated with it. So let me start here. There were a lot of different signature moments. Never in the history of the NFL playoffs has a team been plus five, that is the Chargers were plus five in the turnover margin and lost a game. So this is unprecedented to have and find the ability to lose this game. Uh, And Brandon Staley is under a great deal of scrutiny now going forward because Sean Payton is sitting there out on the sideline and we have clearly 
a stud uh, when it comes to Sean Payton on the sideline who could be a really good coach. You know, if you are the Chargers, that Justin Herbert is a fabulous quarterback. Austin Eckler, solid running back, really talented wide receivers, although you didn't have a stud wide receiver playing for you because Staley made the ridiculous decision to play him, Michael Williams, in a game that it made no sense whatsoever to have him out on the field. So as you break all of this down, the first question the Chargers have going forward is, what in the world are they going to do with this uh, with this whole situation in general as it pertains to uh, to this situation with failure on every turn at every direction associated with uh, the Chargers when it comes to giving up big leads, when it comes to just not being able to take the proverbial next step. So that in and of itself is a huge part of this story. Sean Payton being out there watching and available is a huge part of this story. But ultimately, this is about the Jags to me. As much as the Chargers may have chargered in this choke job, the Jags have gone from, I believe, 3-7 and seven to now advancing to the divisional round of the playoff going on the road against the Kansas City Chiefs. And Trevor Lawrence has evolved in a way that is pretty impressive. And I wanted to hit you with this because if you're in the AFC right now, Final four AFC quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes obviously didn't play this weekend. He's 27. Patrick Mahomes is the oldest of the final four AFC quarterbacks right now. Josh Allen, just 26. Talk about his win in a moment. Joe Burrow, just 26. And Trevor Lawrence, only 23 years old. There is so much young quarterback talent in the AFC. I don't know that we have ever seen this much young quarterback talent on one side of the NFL divide. The NFC is a mess at quarterback. A lot older, way less accomplished. But in the AFC, 27-year-old Patrick Mahomes, he's the veteran of this group. 26-year-old Josh Allen, 26-year-old Joe Burrow, 23-year-old Trevor Lawrence. It's going to be really, really hard to get through uh, this situation in the AFC given the quarterbacking talent that is there and will be there potentially for the next 15 years. Bills outlast the Dolphins. Look, I thought Buffalo played really poorly in this game. Got up early, 17 to nothing. You felt like they might pull away and then they turned the ball over. They failed multiple occasions when they could have created some real space here. I didn't think Mike McDaniel called a great game, getting the uh, delay of game penalties relatively unacceptable. But man, when I look at the Bills, I feel like they just squeaked past the Dolphins and now we get this matchup with the Bengals. Let me go back to a minute to that Jags game. I know there was a lot of uh, focus paid on Bosa for slamming down his uh, helmet uh, in frustration over what I thought was a clear false start by the right tackle. Here's what I hate about situations like these. When an official makes a wrong call and a player who reacts to that wrong call is penalized for it, it feels like it doubles the failure. Now, you can say Bosa shouldn't have slammed his helmet 
and that gave the opportunity to the Jags to go for two, which they probably otherwise wouldn't have taken there, which opened the door to the Chargers losing. But as an official, when you miss a call like that, I hate reacting to the player's emotion over the missed call. For instance, if you miss a call clearly in basketball, and then you tee up the player for reacting to the missed call, I feel like it is a doubling of the error. And I felt like that was in play in that Jags game against the Chargers in the way they reacted. Now, credit to uh, the brilliant play by Trevor Lawrence from the one to dive forward and break the plane. I think that's what happened and should happen on a lot of these times when you get half the distance to the goal and get to do a two-point conversion from the one. I think that's probably uh, what was going on in uh, the ravens bengals game when we saw the ball trying to be extended there and uh, by Huntley. And clearly, incredible play. Ball gets knocked away. We get a 98, 99-yard return, which decided that game. But I think that was a direct reaction, I really do, to the success of that play uh, that we saw in that game between uh, the uh, the Jags and the Chargers. I bet there was watching there. So, Bills outlast the Dolphins. Josh Allen was not very good. Couple of turnovers. He has been erratic at times. He can make any play. Sometimes he tries to make too many plays. Dolphins without Tua were really not much of a threat. Skyler was not going to be able to come in there and perform at anywhere near the level I don't think Tua could have. But... They had a chance to win this game. I was not impressed with the Bills as they outlasted the Dolphins. Giants took down the Vikings, and there were a lot of plays in this game that deserved a great deal of attention, but I despise. Saw the same thing happen in the Titans' end of their season against the Jags. How do you throw underneath on fourth down? How in the world do you throw under the line to gain on fourth down Unless, and again, there are always exceptions, unless there is a guy wide open that you can see is easily going to gain the down and distance, the Vikings season comes to a close. Vikings were 11-0 in games that were decided by seven or fewer points. Uh, And suddenly they lose in the postseason. Minnesota, I would argue, and Minneapolis-St. Paul area in general, most star-crossed, currently crushing area to be a sports fan. They won the Twins did uh, the World Series back in like, what was it, 1992-ish off the top of my head. Since then, and a long time since 1992 now, everybody in Minnesota has lost and they've also often lost in really diabolical, excruciating fashion. Um, and I would argue that of a city with the four major sports franchises, NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NFL. If you have a city with the four major sports franchises, no city is cursed more than the Minneapolis area is right now. So if you you are breaking this down, I think it's worth contemplating how exactly that is is going on. But the Giants, in a first year with Brian Dayball, Uh, make a huge step to win a playoff game. Huge moment for Daniel Jones, who has validated much of the faith that has been shown in him. Uh, Saquon Barkley, certainly, uh, and that crew 
to be able to get a win. Brian Dayball, amazing difference that he has made in year one with the Giants. And if you're a Vikings fan, I know a lot of people want to blame Kirk Cousins, and I blame him for the fourth and eight decision to throw the ball underneath. But ultimately, that offense was pretty explosive. I would love to have seen Justin Jefferson just get a chance to make a play down the field, uh, give him an opportunity, given what happens with pass interference and everything else. Uh, I'd rather have him trying to make a play than your tight end trying to break tackles and rumble for eight yards. But by and large, it was the defense that created a lot of these issues for the Vikings. If you score as many points as they did uh, over the course of the season, there were very few games that you lost as a Minnesota Vikings fan where you came back and said, hey, the reason why we lost was the offense's performance in this game. By and large, the NFL uh, season for the Vikings came down to their ability to make plays. Now, they only scored 24 in the postseason game. I understand uh, that you would want more. But again, the defense, by and large, was what created this issue more so uh, than anything else. Bengals outlast the Ravens. We talked about the Huntley attempting to get over uh, with the uh, with the sneak. Uh, I thought he played pretty well in the grand scheme of things. I'm looking up his stats right now uh, to see what the data would reflect. Um, you know, Tyler Huntley, basically the equivalent of Joe Burrow in terms of his statistical numbers. But there are a lot of things in this game. First of all, the Ravens take possession of the ball with three minutes and 14 seconds left, I believe. And then in that three minutes and 14 seconds, they managed to run out of time and had to throw up a Hail Mary. That's pretty difficult to even contemplate. I don't know that I've ever seen that before. I understand that the Ravens were trying to run out the clock and they didn't want uh, to, uh, to find themselves in a scenario where Joe Burrow and the Bengals get the ball back and can return and kick a field goal. I think the Ravens were planning to go for two and go for the win. I would have been stunned. But really, this game came down to the Huntley trying to reach the ball over. But then, really poor, I thought, management overall of the uh, of the final drive. The fact that you run out of time, keep uh, two, two timeouts basically in your pocket, take away the opportunity to run J.K. Dobbins very much, who was an explosive playmaker, and the Bengals outlast the Ravens. So we get the Bengals game against the Bills, which should be a good one. Uh, we talked about how young all the quarterbacks are in the AFC. Uh, and I think I've talked about everybody, but the 49ers now pulled away late from the Seahawks. Seahawks played really well for about the first three quarters of that game, then fell apart in the fourth quarter. And look, the question out there is, does Brock Purdy have what it takes to lead this 49ers offense. Because I think if you take away the quarterback, the single most talented team in the in football right now is the San Francisco 49ers on both the defense and offensive side of the ball. If Brock Purdy can play like he did, over 300 yards passing, three touchdowns, had another touchdown, would have been dropped in the end zone on an absolute dime of a throw. If he continues to play like this, there is an analogy with Tom Brady, late round draft pick, comes in to take over for a starter, actually two starters in this scenario, because Trey Lance and Jimmy G are both lost. How many NFL teams would be in the final eight with their third round, third string quarterback? 
Not very many. I think we deserve a lot of credit for Brock Purdy and what he has been able to accomplish. Seahawks had a good year. If you had told Seahawks fans, hey, Russell Wilson is gone, you're going to ride with Geno Smith all year, and you would be in a playoff game late in the third quarter in a very competitive playoff game, have the lead basically at the half, I think every Seahawk fan would have signed on for that. Lots of reasons for optimism with the Seahawks, Pete Carroll's team going forward. But the 49ers, it feels like to me, are going to go head-to-head with Jalen Hurts and the Eagles before all is said and done, although we will see what happens. And I made my Super Bowl prediction before the season started. I said I like the Bills to go against the Cowboys. The Cowboys win tonight. They're favored, but I like the Bucs. But if the Cowboys win tonight, then I'd have my Super Bowl both still alive with eight teams remaining, which is a pretty good situation. Uh, speaking of that, Bucks going up against the Cowboys tonight. Um, I like the Bucks to cover this number. I'm not sold on the Cowboys offense with Dak Prescott. I cannot wait to watch this game. Uh, it is going to be, I think, a knockdown drag out battle. I'm going with uh, the Bucks plus the points against the Cowboys, but I'll love it if the Cowboys win because, as I said, I will still have all eight of my teams, uh, uh, both of my Super Bowl teams, still alive in the final eight. Okay, that is my takeaway from all the games on the field that were actually played. Hey, Clay Travis here. Hope you guys are enjoying OutKick. The show will have more coming back next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Biggest storyline coming out of any of the defeated teams, I think, is what in the world's going on with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson did not travel to be with the team. I want to make sure that I read fully the uh, the statement that Lamar Jackson just put up on Instagram. So I'm hopping into Instagram to pull up Lamar Jackson's uh, comments and everybody's trying to unpack exactly what Lamar Jackson is saying uh, in this statement. Um, And the statement that Lamar Jackson put up, did he already take it down? I don't know. Maybe it was in his Instagram stories. I can't even keep up with all the different directions of uh, Instagram and all the different comments that are made in a day-to-day basis, but it allows everybody to basically sit around and try to psychologically deconstruct what exactly is being said here. Um, But Lamar Jackson says, when you have something good, this was on his Instagram story, when you have something good, you don't play with it. You don't take chances losing it. You don't neglect it. When you have something good, you pour into it, you appreciate it, because when you take care of something good, that good thing takes care of you too. Now, I asked you guys immediately after the Ravens' loss, what does this mean for Lamar Jackson? He didn't travel with the team. Nobody knows his full health condition, but it's surprising based on the way this was initially covered that Lamar Jackson would not play at all down the stretch run of the season. 
And it feels to me like the entire Ravens relationship with Lamar Jackson is broken and that he is going to, in some way, demand a trade. Now, there are lots of moving parts here. We've seen this happen before. The Ravens could franchise Lamar Jackson and force him to stay with them for another year, pay him $40-plus million for one year. We saw this happen back in the day with Kirk Cousins where he got doubly franchised and then hit free agency. So maybe there's some sort of workaround that can happen here. I don't know what the trade value for Lamar Jackson would be. I would think certainly there is a team or teams out there that is willing to make a trade for him. But it feels like this relationship is fundamentally broken. And Lamar Jackson is letting us know, hey, the Ravens had an elite talent. He wanted elite, highest pot potential money ever paid to a quarterback type money. He saw the money that Deshaun Watson got coming off of being accused of sexually assaulting 30 different women. The Cleveland Browns were willing to trade for him and give him an all-time rookie, sorry, all-time football guarantee contract, okay? And I think Lamar Jackson looked at that and said, hey, I've stayed out of trouble. I'm an MVP. I have led this Baltimore Ravens franchise to the best of my ability. And now I deserve to get rewarded for that uh, for, for that leadership and for that performance. And the Ravens offered him a lot of money, but they didn't offer him that Deshaun Watson-level salary that he thought he deserved. And as a result, their uh, relationship is broken. And I do think that factored in to Lamar Jackson's willingness to go out and play. He might be a free agent. If he's not 100%, he's thinking to himself, why would I risk my health for a franchise that is unwilling to provide the kind of guarantee that I deserve based on the performance that I put forward. Now, from the Ravens' perspective, they're probably looking around and saying, is Lamar Jackson's style of play sustainable for the next decade? Because he's wanting money that is going to put the Ravens franchise effectively in his hands over the next decade. And candidly, I think there's nervousness now when you look at what the Broncos gave to Russell Wilson and what they got back from him, not a great result. When you look at the money so far that the Cleveland Browns have committed to Deshaun Watson and the results that they got from him, not a great result either. So I don't think this is an easy answer. I understand both perspectives here, and it feels a little bit like a divorce when both members of the uh, couple have legitimate arguments. Right? So maybe here, the scenario that makes the most sense is for them just to break up, for a divorce to occur, for a team out there that 100% believes in Lamar Jackson to make the case for Lamar Jackson in their franchise and for a massive contract for him. And we'll just have to see what the larger marketplace is because that will determine, I think, how this relationship goes. If there's not a great marketplace out there, I think the Ravens probably call Lamar Jackson's bluff. I think that they go out and franchise tag him. Uh, And then there has to be a real debate about what comes next in this relationship. So that to me is the one coming out of this that's the most interesting uh, to follow. Okay, Uh, on Saturday morning, leaving behind the NFL wildcard weekend, 
more classified documents were found inside of Joe Biden's Wilmington, Delaware home. Five more classified documents. And I will reiterate the question that I asked on Friday's version here of Outkick the Show, which is this. Why was this search ever commenced? Okay? You had lawyers going through Joe Biden's documents and files when they were shutting down his Washington, D.C. office. I don't buy that this happened accidentally. My theory is that someone notified Joe Biden that he had documents that he shouldn't have had. They recognized that they were missing. Remember, it has been since 2017 that Biden would have these documents. Maybe as part of the Trump investigation, there was a request that they go back inside of the archives and look through searching for all the most relevant historically documents from the Obama-Biden era. And so this is my theory. Somebody notified Biden, uh, camp, that there were documents missing and said, hey, can you go see if you find these? Because otherwise, none of this makes sense. Uh, And why would you ever publicly admit that you have these documents unless somebody else knew that you had them? Why would it then take months for this investigation, this search to go on? And significantly, why is the search being done by lawyers who are making $1,000 an hour who don't have top secret security clearance, right? This is where the argument doesn't make sense to me. They said they were cleaning out Joe Biden's office. And that's when they found these documents. Why was a lawyer cleaning out Joe Biden's office? I don't know about you, but I've moved a few times. I never hired a $1,000 an hour lawyer to move my documents. There's something that isn't adding up here, and I would just go to that. This whole, we found these while we were moving the documents out, doesn't make sense because why would your chosen uh, mover be a a high-end lawyer who's charging you $1,000 an hour? I think the most likely scenario here is somebody tipped off the Joe Biden camp that they inappropriately uh, continue to have in their possession classified documents. Maybe this is connected to the Trump classified document scandal where in the National Archives, for instance, they initiated a review of significant documents, noticed that something was missing, uh, and went out and made that case privately, probably not via email, a private email, uh, sorry, a private phone call, some sort of tip-off, and that led to the discovery of these documents. It's then why these documents being discovered had to go public because they were concerned that they knew that the the Biden people were concerned that someone knew they had these documents. Some people say, well, this is about a cover-up. I don't buy it because if you were trying to cover up the fact that Biden had classified documents, you would never, ever, ever create a scenario where these classified documents were known to exist in the first place. So I think there's really something going on here that is of a more significant nature as it pertains to these additional five classified documents. Why in the world has Joe Biden now for months been allowed to conduct this search on his own? Why are they doing the search on with people who are not uh, able to actually view classified documents. That seems like a big flaw in this process in general. 
And how long does the search get to go on? Remember, they said they found these documents initially on November 2nd. Well, we're sitting here now on uh, January 16th, but as recently as Saturday, that search was still going on two and a half months later. That doesn't sound like it's very uh, effective or very rapid in nature. Um, It is MLK Day. Uh, I graduated Martin Luther King High School. Uh, I think that uh, MLK Day is and always has been a very important day uh, because it's about rejecting identity politics, in my opinion, and treating everyone the same, whether they are white, black, Asian, or Hispanic. That should, in my opinion, be the goal of both the United States government and also of society at large. We should endeavor to treat every individual the exact same, regardless of their background. That's what I try to do every single day. Um, But on MLK Day, I would be remiss if I didn't have a little bit of fun here uh, with a couple of things. One, did you see Joe Biden attempt to sing happy birthday to uh, Martin Luther King III, that is Martin Luther King's grandchild, Uh, Did you see them attempt to sing, Joe Biden, attempt to sing Happy Birthday? If you haven't seen this video, when we clip this segment, we need to put that video of that attempt next to it. Joe Biden had no idea what uh, Martin Luther King III's wife's name was. It's Andrea. But you know her last name. It's King because she's married to MLK III, okay? So how in the world... Is it possible that you look so incompetent, Joe Biden, when you sing uh, that happy birthday wish? That happened earlier today. Two, Boston unveiled a new statue of uh, Martin Luther King that is one of the worst statues, one of the worst memorials of all time. It costs $10 million. It doesn't feature either MLK or his wife's uh, actual face. Supposedly, It was based on a 1964 hug, uh, a picture of the couple right after Martin Luther King was awarded the Nobel Prize. And it's crazy to me that this uh, statue got signed off on. We were talking about this earlier at Clay and Buck. How in the world did this end up occurring? I think what happens is you have a bunch of woke white people who saw the design and were afraid to point out that it looks like a penis or a masturbation statue. It's really crazy if you haven't seen the pictures. We need to include the pictures in this discussion. Everybody is ridiculing it and wondering, they do a model before the statue is unveiled, before the memorial sees the light of day. They decide, hey, this is what we want it to look like. How did nobody raise an issue? How did nobody say, hey, you know, it looks like a gigantic penis? And it also looks like somebody's masturbating a gigantic penis. Maybe not the greatest statue that we could make of MLK. Maybe we could use his head. Just an idea. Maybe we could use Coretta Scott King's head. Maybe we could actually make the memorial show their faces instead of being so ridiculous like it is. I think this is an example of a bunch of white people being so terrified, probably, to admit, uh, be accused of being racist that they didn't even admit that this design was awful. Uh, And this is why I think much of contemporary art is basically total BS. Um, Also, my good buddy Darren Ravel, third part here. Uh, Where where is Darren Ravel's? Let me pull up Darren Ravel's amazing one-year anniversary MLK uh, tweet. 
Darren Ravel was very upset that he was being accused of being racist. Uh, and he put out, uh, yes, this is almost exactly one year ago on MLK Day, calling me a racist is cute, on this day especially. I have one of the largest Martin Luther King Jr. collections in the world, and some of my closest friends are black. That is our good friend, Darren Ravel, MLK enthusiast. I want to make sure that I give him a nod as he is a huge fan of MLK rookie cards. Um, really, I mean, uh, nobody, and I mean nobody, has more uh, memorabilia uh, from uh, Harriet Tubman. I mean, Darren Ravel has like 18 Harriet Tubman rookie cards. Uh, he even has the hat that she used to wear, that like tie thing. I'm making a joke about this. I don't think he has it. He may actually have it. He's a huge black history guy. 18 Harriet Tubman rookie cards, uh, first edition. Uh, that is like quite the collection from Darren Ravel, uh, Martin Luther King enthusiast. Um, he's got the MLK rated rookie too. Uh, I mean, it's got the uh, this mustache, you know, like the Jose Canseco 1986 rated rookie, uh, the Donruss that everybody wanted, uh, hugely valuable back in the day. Everybody wanted the Canseco rookie card. I mean, Darren Ravel has got the rated rookie MLK card pristine condition. I think it's a mint 10. Uh, a lot of credit to him. Um, and, uh, and and again, MLK enthusiast extraordinaire props to Darren Ravel uh, for always managing to make everything as cringy and awkward as possible. Uh, speaking of cringy and awkward, trans Miss Universe. So the Miss Universe pageant went on over the weekend. I will just say this. It's an argument I've made for years. I don't understand why they put pageants on at the same time as sporting events. Because in my opinion, a pageant is basically a sporting event. So I love the question portion of all these pageants where you get a question and you never know what might happen. Obviously, Miss South Carolina with one of the greatest answers of all time. Uh, I love pageants. Breaking down the talent, trying to think about who's going to win. But So Miss Universe is over the weekend. I didn't actually see it. I did see that Miss Universe has an owner who is formerly a dude who now identifies as a woman. And this dude gave a speech where he said Miss Universe had a woman owner and that Miss Universe, the pageant now, was important because of what it said about women's empowerment. And I'm paraphrasing. This is crazy. When are we going to finally see a battle between these fake dudes and feminists, okay? Because you can't be a guy for your whole life, suddenly decide to become a chick, and then argue that you are a huge part of women's empowerment. A dude bought Miss Universe, then decided to become a woman That isn't some proud moment in women's business. You are still a dude who bought the company and you haven't really experienced anything about what being a woman is like. I was talking about this last night with my wife at dinner. She's like, this is pretty offensive to women. Like, you can't just parachute in never having grown up as a woman, never having gone through what life as a woman is like, and then suddenly argue that you are a paragon, a success story of women. Like, this should be offensive 
to actual biological women. That this dude who decides to identify as a woman, and by the way, I don't really care what you identify as at all. If it makes you happier to claim that you are a woman instead of a man, whatever. If you want to change your name, fine. If it makes you happier, okay, and you're an adult. I would answer uh, and ask, how come if you do that associated with a race, you are super racist, right? Rachel Dolezal pretends to be a black woman and it is totally offensive and unacceptable, right? But dudes pretend to be women and they come out and argue that they should be women of the year. I think there's a little bit of logical inconsistency there, okay? So this trans Miss Universe owner who is claiming that he is taking a stand for women and women's uh, rights and powers is actually humiliating and offensive to actual women. When are they going to stand up and say this is unacceptable? I don't know. I keep waiting for it. Keeps not happening. The identity politics pyramid is eventually going to have to turn into a battle. That's what's going to happen at some point because the woke universe requires different delineations of victimization and all of this is going to explode, I think, in a big mess sometime in the future. We'll see what happens tonight. I am on the Bucks plus the points. Look forward to watching the Bucks and Cowboys play. I hope all of you having a fantastic start to your week. I'll see you tomorrow.